All right, so I want you to open up your Bibles today. We're going to dig in uh, to His Word. And uh, there's a, normally I like to camp out in one spot, you know me. But uh, I, I want to start in Colossians and move to Philippians, and then maybe we'll make it to Galatians. But um, I want us to, to, to think about this. Now, I want to tell you about when I was growing up. I was a kid raised in a, in a good Christian home. And uh, my parents, I don't know about your parents, if you're, if you're a kid that was raised uh, in the faith, I don't know about your parents, but my parents had us um, memorizing and speaking the scripture often. And it wasn't just like to prove you were a good student or to, you know, make sure you were doing something with your time. The reason was, was because, you know, as, as David said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, not only that, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, so like one of my mentors once said, uh, if your mouth will teach your heart faith when you don't need it, your heart will teach your mouth faith when you do need it. And you'll find out that in the time of trouble or at the time of opportunity, what comes out of you is what you filled your life with, Right? You all know those times where you don't have time to think, and something just comes out of you. Now, before you knew Jesus, that might be just a bunch of profanity. That might be just a bunch of fear. You know, maybe some of you uh, were raised in a home where it was just very fearful. And so the moment you did anything, your mom or your dad were just like, don't do that, this could happen. Don't do that, this could happen. And instantly, out of your mouth, is fear all the time. Fear, 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 fear. And you find out that as you grow up, that, that you are dominated by that fear. That doesn't have to be the rest of your life. It doesn't have to be the rest of your life. And so what happens is, well, the Bible tells us, God said to Joshua, keep this word in your mouth all the time. Don't stop speaking it. In fact, he says you will meditate it, Joshua 1. You will meditate on it day and night. Now, I know our modern version of meditation is to be real quiet or, or to, you know, different people do that different ways. But I want to tell you what the Bible definition of meditation is. So what the Hebrew word that's used in Joshua 1, it's not Buddhist meditation. It's not some empty your mind thing. In fact, the word is a word which means to mutter to yourself, to speak to yourself. And so this is something that, that, that when he says it should not depart from your mouth, God's not telling Joshua, don't ever say this. He's saying, don't ever stop saying this. Keep it in your mouth all the time. Speak this word. He says, and then you will make your way prosperous. Now, that's interesting because we know it's ultimately God that prospers his people, right? That's God that does that. God's the one that said to Joshua, I will bring you into a prosperous land. So it's God that's doing it. But then he says to Joshua, by doing this, you're going to change. The way the direction your life is headed. You're changing the course of your life. By what? By keeping this word in your mouth. By letting God's word be the thing you're speaking. Why? You believe what you speak and you speak what you believe. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if you can train yourself to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn, <laughs> I'm going to get into the word, I'm going to begin to speak this. I'm going to begin to say it. I'm going to begin to say what God says. See, that's what the word confess means. Confess means to say the same thing. You're not saying the same thing as the preacher. You're not saying the same thing as your best friend. You shouldn't be saying the same thing as the people you're watching on TV. What you should be doing is saying the same thing as what God says. What does God say about this? Because ultimately he knows. 
And ultimately, that's, that's, that's the line I want to get on. I want to get on his level. I want to say what he says. I want to agree with God. Do you know if Abraham did anything right, the, the thing he did most right was that he agreed with God. He just said God is right. And when he said God is right, what he did was he believed God. And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's what the scripture says. It cre- he credited it to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed God was right, Abraham became right. Do you understand? By believing God is right, he became righteous. Because by believing God is right, that changes us, doesn't it? And so God said, well, that's, I'm going to call that righteousness, your faith in me. Not, not all the work you did, not all the things you've done, but because you had faith in my righteousness, I'm going to give you that righteousness. I'm going to call you right. And so, you know, when, when he says to Joshua, don't, don't stop speaking this, then you don't. So when I was a kid, we were raised, preach, you know, uh, you know speak the word. We, we memorized, we learned and I remember the one that got drilled in us more than most was children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Right? Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, you could be cynical this morning and say, well, of course that's the one they taught you. They wanted you to listen to them. They wanted a good kid. They wanted a kid that obeys. And there's truth to that, of course. That's, that's very practical. But what I've come to realize as I've gotten older is that 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 was a verse that's directed directly towards me. That's a part of the Bible where he's directly talking to children and treating them like believers. I love that. Mm -hmm. One One of the stupidest things we do is we raise our kids to someday act like believers. Rather than saying, if you have been born again, right now you're a new person. Right now, the Spirit of God lives in you. So I, I know you're not an adult yet. Your, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully hardened yet. You haven't, you haven't fully matured yet. But there's something that's changed in you. And Jesus said, these kids, if you look at them, he said, to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. One, one of the, like I said, this is why it's stupid. If we, if we treat our kids and our teenagers like, well, someday, and I've, I've used this term so many times before, like they've got Holy Spirit Junior in them, and someday maybe you'll do something for the Lord. The problem is, is that we train them to hear and not do. And if you are trained to hear and not do, what happens is your heart hardens. You're, you harden towards the Lord because what you're training them is, don't do what you hear. Don't do what God says. Just listen. Well, the problem with that is, is once you become an adult and you just sit there and you sit there in the chair and you just listen, but you never do anything with it. Jesus said, you're like the guy that built his house on sand and it'll be fine until the storm comes. Then it crumbles. I don't want my son to grow up to be a hearer only and not a doer. The book of James says, then you're tricking yourself and you forget who you are. Isn't that awesome? He, James says that, that when, we, when a man or a woman looks into the law of liberty, he looks into God's word, he looks into God's ways, he says he beholds himself, he beholds it like a mirror. And then if he doesn't do what he heard, or he doesn't do what he read, or she doesn't do what she learned, then what happens is if he's just a hearer and not a doer, then he goes, this person walks away and forgets who they are. So this tells me that when I look at the word, I see who I really am. 
And when I go and I say, I'm going to live that, I'm living out my truest, most authentic self. This is who I really am. This is my reality. This is who I am. Now, the world will tell you, no, no, you just got to find that. Whatever you feel, that's who you are. But, but, but we're taught differently that this is who we are, and we're discovering I'm a new creation in Christ. I want to learn who that new person is. I want to get to know that new person. Colossians talks about that and says, put off the old self and put on the new self. So put off the old self, which is being corrupted. In other words, it's rotting away like a corpse. Put it off and put on the new self, which has been renewed according to the image of the one that created you. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew and slave or free. Barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. So this new person is defined by Christ, is included in Christ. And when I begin to define myself this way, a lot of the old divisions I used to draw go away. That's why you can be in a church where we have people from different backgrounds. And you can have a church where people are different ages. And you can have a church where people are are doing different kinds of jobs and, and have different kinds of things they like to do and still be a family because in Christ, there's a new, a newness that's coming out of us. Well, then I want to get to know that person. I want to get to know the new me in Christ. If you were to look in your Bible, if you just use like your phone search on, uh, on your Bible app and you just search the phrase in Christ, in him, in the Lord, you'd have a long time going through all of these verses in the New Testament because the New Testament is full of this. It's the whole point of everything. Now you are in Christ, not just with him and not just doing stuff for him. Maybe that's the trouble. We're we're trying to do stuff for the Lord without trying to do it in the Lord. So it's a big deal when my parents taught me, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because what it was doing was empowering me, not just as a child, as a believer, to do something I didn't have the ability to do without God. You understand? Do it in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Don't just do it because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't. See, if, if that's, sometimes there, there needs to be, of course, our kids need to learn consequences. We get that. We get, to, we get that there needs to be uh, this, if I do this, this happens. I get that. But when you empower your kids to, to live in Christ and say, son, daughter, you don't have the ability to do this. But in the Lord, you can. Now you're, you're, you're showing them something that, that the world can't offer them. You're teaching them how to live in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, kids seem to have the purest faith. I tell you, when, when, I, when Moses was growing up, if I needed someone to pray for me, he's one of the first ones I grabbed because he just believed God. Now, if the kids can do it, so can we. That chapter talks about, in Ephesians 5 and 6, talks about husbands and wives, talks about parents. This whole life we're meant to do in the Lord. And then he goes on in Ephesians 6, and he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Now, that's a big difference. Because I want to tell you, I have seen really, really tough people break under the attack of the enemy. I've seen them crumble. 
We've had we, I, I, over and over again people that, people that you just thought you'll, they'll never break. They're, they've got a tough personality. They were raised in hardness. Uh, you know what? They're, 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 they're just the kind of person you think could handle anything, and they break because it's too much for them. But I've seen people that you just thought, I don't know. They seem a little fragile. But when they're doing something in the Lord, something there's a strength that comes in them. Yeah. And be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we have three strong words used in the same sentence. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It doesn't say anything about you just bucking up and being a little bit tougher. It says be strong in the Lord. So so this is something I've got to learn, something you've got to learn. How do I be strong in the Lord? Maybe all your life... You knew how to toughen up when you needed it, and that's a good skill. That's a good quality. But I will tell you, it's going to run short, right? We've talked about this before, but when you get in your car, so pardon me if I'm reusing an analogy. It's just so good. When you get in a car and you put your foot down on the gas pedal, you are the one that's engaging that gas pedal. You're the one that's telling that car to go. That's your will. That's like your will in your life. The things of God, he's not going to force you to do them. You have to engage. But ultimately, it's not when you're driving. When I see you driving way too fast down the highway, and I pray a little prayer for you. Just kidding. I shake my head and, oh, man, we're going to have to preach about speeding tomorrow. No, I'm just joking. No, but when we see somebody just ripping down the highway, you don't go, wow, they must never have skipped leg day. How, How did they do that? What powerful legs they have to push that gas pedal that hard. Do you know my wife can drive as fast as I can? It's because it's not about the strength of your leg. It's about the power of the car. Your leg's involved, but your leg is empowering that vehicle. It's in the same way when I engage my will and say, I am going to obey the Lord. I'm going to do what he says. Now, I had to press the gas pedal. I, I I had to get my hand on the wheel. But it's the power of God that propels you. And you know the difference. One time, me and my friend Jay were on some weird adventure. I don't remember what it was. I can only imagine. <laughs> but I think we were at a concert or something in Edmonton. And we were driving in his um, old Mustang. It was, it was a red Mustang. It was pretty beat up. But it was fun. You know, we were teenagers. So you do whatever you need to do to, to get to Edmonton and get back. And... and um, I just assumed we were keeping, it was his car, I assumed we were get, keeping the gas full, but we weren't. <laughs> and so we start sputtering uh, right around Kid Scotty, and, and the car stops right when we can see the lights of the city. Now, we're teenagers, so the lights of the city were a little bit further than they would be now, because uh, Lloydminster hadn't grown so far west. Uh, where Montana's is, that was about the westernmost uh, area of the, you know, the city beyond, beyond the industrial park. So we see the city lights and we said, well, you and me, we got, we got some muscles. It's, it's nighttime. It's late. But this, this Mustang's fairly light. Okay, so here's what we do. Let's just start pushing. And so we start pushing towards the lights. And we're getting some momentum. It's probably very dangerous. Uh, We found out when we finally did get gas that we'd run the battery out, so there was that. But we had our hazards on. 
And uh, we're, we're going back, and we're pushing, and we're running for a while. We're, we're pumping ourselves up like we're the Jamaican bobsled team, you know. <laughs> Our friend Jamie is having dinner with his friend at Kelsey's and sees two idiots pushing a car down the highway. And you should have seen how we rushed it across Ring Road. Like, this really stupid what we did. Rather than calling someone, I didn't want my parents to get out of bed and be mad at me. So I just, so we said, let's just push it. And when we crossed a major intersection that was a really dumb idea, we ran as fast as we could and pushed that car. And our friend Jamie saw us through the window while he's eating and, and going, that can't be Jay and Jonathan. But it was. So he comes and he finds us and, and he, he goes to the gas station and he helps us out. Our car wouldn't start. He got us going. It was a real blessing. And we, of course, at, the, at that time, every single thing that happened, we attributed to the mighty hand of God. And so it was God that sent Jamie to Kelsey's. It was God that did this. We were so excited. It was the best night of our life for a while. <laughs> and the worst one at the same time. But I'll tell you what, that Mustang, I'd been in it when it was running, and I'd been in it when I was running it. And there's a big difference, a gigantic difference. Now, I could fool myself and say, you know what, I just decide we don't even need, we don't ever need gas. Jay, we proved concept here. We can push this thing forever. Don't ever put gas in it. You and me can push it wherever we want to go. But that's, that's dumb. And you're going to tire out real fast. You're probably going to get hit. And this is a Christian life. We, we, we say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm doing this with you. I'm doing with this with you. And then you have this season where, where you go, I, I'm not sure what's, what's happening next. Maybe it's a dry season in your life. And you disengage and you, you stop trusting God and you start trusting in yourself. Look, I've, I've got some muscle here. I've got some power here. And you begin to think, I can, I can push my life forward. I've learned good lessons. Maybe you think, I've learned good skills in church. I've learned how to be a good person. I've, I've learned how to, how to you know, live a good life. And I think I can do this. And I want to tell you something. You are like a person pushing a car that was meant to be driven. It was meant to, to, to go at high speeds. And here you are thinking, well, I can do this. It, it's, it's not going to last. You're going to burn out. And you're going to find that you never reach the speeds God's called you to reach. You'll never do what God's called you to do because your strength is not even close. But we have to stop treating God like he's the vitamin, the supplement we add. So it's like Jonathan Plus. No, it's totally different. It's not the same. I've heard some people say, you know, well, I do everything I can do, and when my strength runs short, then I, I, I depend on God. But, but don't do that. Start and finish with him. Don't ever say, I'm going to start with me, and then I'll go as far as I can go, and then God will do the rest. No, no, no. You do everything in his strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so, like I said, if you go, through the, you go through the New Testament, you see how many times it says in Christ, in him, in the Lord. It's everywhere because that's the point. In Colossians, he talks about it and he says, he says, if you've received Christ in this way, then walk in him or live your life through him. If you've received him, now walk in him. So there's a difference between receiving Jesus and being taught in Christ and walking in Christ. Because you can know all the theory, right? We can all say, I know the theory. I've got it down in my head. 
but there's a big difference between knowing theory and practicing it. You know, that's why a lot of you, you've taken written exams, but then you had to do a practical exam, right? Because you've got people that know all the, I mean, know all the facts, know all the, the, the theory of it, can write the written exam over and over again, but when the time comes for them to do the practical, they're a hazard to themselves and to others. I have a friend in his high, I mean, he was just, he's a really smart guy, really smart guy. But when he played football in high school, his coach said to him, you probably couldn't say that these days, but his coach said to him, you are the dumbest smart guy I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you're just, you're the dumbest smart guy I've ever met. Now, coaches aren't allowed to say things like that anymore. But one of the challenges was he was a very intellectual, analytical guy. But he was having trouble applying that on the field. And so one of the things that we have to learn is, is that maturity in Christ is not judged by how many Bible trivia questions you can answer. Amen. In fact, maturity in Christ in the scriptures, how, how's your love? Amen. How's your endurance? That's how's your right. perseverance? How's your patience? Yeah. How's your self-control? Yeah. Because these are not fruits of you. These are fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Maturity in Christ is, is the Spirit working in your life. I don't care how much you know. I mean, Matt, I, I'm glad you're learning. But what really matters is, are you learning to walk by the Spirit? Are you learning to let Jesus live through you? And so I want to read you something in Philippians here. We're going to read what, what the Apostle Paul said about his life in Christ. And, and, and if you, you go through this whole book, you're going to see in Christ and in the Lord a lot. He talks about being confident in the Lord. He talks about, I'm hoping in the Lord. He says, I'm sending my, my, my son to come see you, not, not his biological son, but a guy that he'd been training up. He says, when he comes, receive him in the Lord. How do you receive somebody in the Lord? You, you, you don't just receive them as a guest. You, you receive them as, as if you're receiving Jesus, and, and you're doing this in the Lord's love, in the Lord's strength. I'm hoping in the Lord, he says. In Philippians chapter 2, he gets to the point where he is um, acknowledging that he is very close to being poured out. Actually, in Philippians 1, let's start there. Philippians 1, he's deciding and he's, he's struggling with, should I stay or should I go? He's in one of the darkest, most depressing prisons that Rome has to offer. If you go to Rome today, you can go visit it. It's in a sewer system. It's called the Mamertine Prison. This is believed. This is where he wrote this letter. It was not meant to be a prison. It was, this was a place where the enemies of the emperor were put. People died there. Sometimes they weren't removed for a while. It's a depressing place. It's a place where he, he's realizing, I could die in prison. I could get called at any moment. He doesn't know what day he's going to go on trial. The emperor could just decide, I want, to go see the, I want to see this guy. Call him. And the emperor could say, you're going to die. And he would die. And he gets to this place where he says, I don't know whether I should stay or go. I don't know whether I should live or die here. And you get this sense that God has kind of given him a choice. You've, I don't think everybody has this choice, but I think Paul did. You can stay or you can go. And he's kind of debating it right in this letter. And he says, if I stay, it's fruitful for you. I know if I stay, it'll be good for you guys. 
But if he goes, if I go, I get to be with Jesus, and I'm really excited about that because this isn't fun. I really would rather be with Jesus. But if I stay, I know it will really help you. But he says this in, in, in Philippians 1.21, For me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I, I don't know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having both the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. Listen to that, in Christ. Through my coming to you again, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to you to see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of our salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in, in me, and now you hear to be in me. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he tells us how Christ emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant. But when he emptied himself and he obeyed the Lord, that God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. He said, you need that same attitude. At the beginning of this statement, he, he says, for me, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. Those are his two choices. I would love for us to all whittle down our lives to those two choices. Rather than, well, for me to live is Christ, or to live is to do this, or to live is be like this, or to be live is like this, and then die, I hope, goes well. Paul's, Paul's got two options. If I live, it's going to be all Christ. Yeah. And he says, and he writes in his letters that, he, he said, uh, for me, he says, my life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ is living in me. I've been crucified with Christ, and the life that I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved, himself, loved me and gave himself up for me. That's in Galatians. So he says, I've been crucified. The life I live, I, I'm living in Christ. Remember how we said your old self is dead, it's gone, it's rotting? It doesn't mean that you can't put that rotten skin on. You can still live like you used to live. You can live like everybody else lives. But that's not who you were created to be. So what do we do? What does the scripture say? It says, it says consider your old self dead. I like the old King James. It says, reckon Reckon the old self dead. So you just say, I reckon he's dead. You ever get out the side of the road and see if this little animal's okay? I reckon he's dead. You need to take a good look at your old life and go, I reckon it's dead. 
and then fully reckon it's dead, permanently dead, not coming back. Because here's the deal. You get, to, you get to find out who you really are now. And the easiest thing in the world might be for you to slip into old patterns and just slip into that old skin, slip into those old clothes and say, well, you know, at least I know how to live this way. But the scripture tells us not only are we recreated in Christ, but we're learning how to live like we were created to live. You're learning who you really are. It's like in those movies where somebody's lost his memory, but it's like actually like a super spy. And he doesn't know how he got all these skills, right? But he's learning about it. And you, you come here today. I'm not telling you if you try real hard, you can do this. I'm telling you Christ in you is your hope of glory. And if you'll hear his voice and you'll see what he says in his word, and then you'll say, I'm going to do that, it is beyond your strength. But if you're saying, I'm doing this in Christ, then you can Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, finally, all right, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice means you're choosing joy. You're choosing to act in joy. He doesn't say, finally, brothers, sisters, feel happy. Feel something happy. No, he says, rejoice. Because even when you don't feel it, you can rejoice. Right? Have you ever thanked someone when you didn't even feel grateful? Yeah. Because it was right. Somebody gives you something, you're not grateful, you're in a bad mood. Something went wrong, you're not even thinking straight. But you thank them, not because I'm so full of thankfulness, I can't help but blurt out thank you. You thank them because it's right. Thank you. Well, when we rejoice, sometimes we've got this idea like, if I can't help it, if it's so big in me, if I'm so happy, I just have to rejoice, then that's when I'm going to do it. That's really lame. That, if that's the only time, like the only time you feed your kids is if they're like, I'm dying of hunger. Okay, fine. No, we choose rejoicing. And the great thing about engaging with God's promises is when you engage when you don't feel like it, his anointing, his power comes in, and you do begin to feel it. You don't press the gas pedal because the car is running, because the car is going fast, and you can't help but participate. You press that gas pedal to get it going. That analogy is falling apart. It's, it's not going to hold forever. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, I don't have much to rejoice about in the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Well, yeah, I know, but it's a, it's, a, it's the crummiest day. It's just a bad season. This summer's been rough in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. We talked last week about how you can bless the Lord. Here's, here's three ways you can bless the Lord. And you got three chapters of the Psalms that tell you, bless the Lord for what he's done in your life. Don't forget what he's done in your life. Even when you're starting to forget, remember what he's done in your life. Bless the Lord for his creation. Bless the Lord for what he's done in his word. These are things I can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So rejoice in the Lord. Receive this friend in the Lord. Then he says in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, this is, in other words, family, brothers and sisters, 
whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. In this way, in what way? Everything we've read before that. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. So I'm just going to say there will be a point in your life, could be tomorrow, could be next month, could be years from now, but there will be a point in your life where you have nothing left in the tank that makes you say, I want to keep standing. Your escape, you're, you're, looking, you're looking for every door to get out of this. You know what? I, I just want to leave. I just want to, let me just move somewhere else. We have this idea that if we move somewhere else, problems go away. Or let me quit this. You know, maybe it's something God called you to. You know, there's seasons to that. There'll be a time he moves you in and out of the seasons. But maybe if you ask yourself the question, maybe you're not quitting because it's a new season. You're just quitting because you're tired. Yeah. You want to ask me how many times I've wanted to quit? <laughs> and I'm sure you have stories like that too. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul is telling them this because they're about to be under some really intense and he's getting them ready. Stand firm in the Lord. And that's why this, chap, this, this book is also so full of joy and rejoicing. Because as, as God said through the prophet Ezra in the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But he says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Dia, and I urge Sintiki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now, um, these apparently are both two leaders in the church, and he's asking somebody to help them get along. I bet he, that fella needs to do that in the Lord, don't you think? <laughs> I think he needs the Lord's strength. Can you imagine <laughs> two very strong leading ladies in the church that he says are, they seem to be really you know, he, he loves them. He treats them as his partners in the faith. But he says, urge them to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I don't want to be that guy that's got to get in the middle of that. But, but here's how he does it. He says, live in harmony in the Lord. We need to stop putting our personality at the top of the pyramid and say, My, this is just the way I am. Well, let's be a little bit, like, little bit less of the way you are. And let's be a little bit more like Jesus. Amen. Right? Yeah, amen. God created you to be an individual. He gave you certain personality traits that, and giftings that are unique to you. But I will tell you what. If you think the giftings God gave you or the personality God gave you is putting you in strife with other people, you're not talking about things God gave you. You're talking about your own flesh. Because the things that God gave you will work together with the other gifts. They'll, they'll cause you to live in harmony. They'll cause you to live in unity. If it's the Lord, it'll work. Amen. The problem is we put our personality at the top. I just got to be me. Now, what you're saying is I will not bend for you. I will not accommodate you. I am a solo dancer, and I dance alone. And nobody gets to tell me what beat I dance to. Well, fine. Be alone for the rest of your life. But that's not the way God called you to be. Live in harmony. What I love about harmony in the musical sense is that you're not playing the same note, but you're playing two notes that go together. In fact, they make each other better by being different. 
But we don't just get up here and, and grab our instruments and go play whatever you feel. And Tony's playing metal, and, and Joel's over here doing a reggae beat on there. And I mean, maybe you strike gold and hit some sort of weird fusion, but most of the time it's just noise. And that's why Paul said, without love, even the best things I do sound like a clanging cymbal. You ever walked into a guitar center when there's just a lot of people trying out instruments? And drums. and uh, You ever had that? I mean, have you ever been in like a guitar center or like a Long and McQuaid? And uh, these are music stores. And, and a parent brings their like five-year-old and says, you want to play the drums? You just want to play the drums? See if you like it. And this kid just starts going, whacking everything. And you don't go in there and go, ah, oh, peace. I feel that. I feel that. Mm. No, it's chaos. And so how do I, I urge them to live in harmony in the Lord? In the Lord, we can do this. Whatever God's calling you to do that sounds too difficult or sounds too contrary to your nature, I want you to remember, you are now in Christ. You have now, I mean, I don't, this is dumbing it down, but you have received superpowers here. You are in Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And so when you say, Lord, I can't do that by myself, but in the Lord, I can. Live in harmony in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He goes on and he says this. I ask you to help these women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What I love about this is Eudea and Sintiki are two people that he says, they've shared my struggle. They've been partners with me. These aren't new believers. These are two people that, know, that should know better. And he's saying, you got to remind them that they can do this together in the Lord. Then he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You just remind yourself, the Lord is near. What does gentle spirit mean? It means that you're not troubled, you're not... You're not uh, uh, tossed here and there. You're not blown around by the storm. You're, 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 you've got a stillness, a confidence in him. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, which means you can't even understand it. It's bigger than your mind. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll do this in Christ. What we're, what we're hearing over and over again is that you're being prepared for a life that the world didn't prepare you for because they saw it as impossible. He goes on, and uh, the, the scripture says in other letters that you can, uh, you know, forgive this person in Christ. Love one another as unto the Lord. Submit to this person as unto the Lord. There's this, this theme going over and over again that, uh, that everything I'm doing, I'm doing in him, through him, for him. Peter says, we have become, in 2 Peter 1, we have become partakers of the heavenly nature. You have become partakers of a heavenly DNA. 
And then he goes on. Now, here's what's important. He doesn't just say, so just go out and live and see what you feel like doing. No, he's, he gives you a list. He says, start here. And then when you start here, go to here. And then do this, and then go here, and then go here. And he gives you a whole list. Go Second Peter 1, read it sometime. And what, he, what he's telling you is, this will lead to this. This will lead to this. See, he's telling you, if you hear this is what God says to do, and you choose to do it, now you are doing something in Christ, you're doing it by faith. In Galatians, when he says, it's no longer me that lives, it's Christ that lives in me, he goes on and he says, how did you receive the Spirit? Wasn't it by hearing with faith? How did God work miracles among you? Wasn't it by hearing with faith? We've talked about this before. See, God works miracles when people hear his voice and then say yes. And I just want you to consider that your whole life can be a miracle. Every day is a miracle. And I know that sounds corny. But it's true. If we only think miracles are, I mean, thank God for, for healing. I, I praise God for healing, for deliverance, for all this. But if you consider that, that you being who you used to be can now live like a son, a daughter of the living God, can have the anointing of Jesus Christ on you as you walk, as you speak, as you go through life, you standing when everybody else quits, that's a miracle. And when you consider you're walking in a miracle because you heard and you said yes. And that's why the scripture says, you received Christ in this way, now walk in him. See, today you're receiving his word. So when you hear it with faith, you say, okay, I'm going to do this. Do it in the Lord. Everything we do, we do in the Lord. We do as unto the Lord. We do in Christ. You need to reckon the old person is dead. Consider that person dead and consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is something we've talked about a lot because it's kind of the point of life. This is not a side issue. You understand. If you're sitting here going, I'm pretty sure we kind of talked about this before. We have. <laughs> and we will. And when, when our whole church just looks like a bunch of heavenly power of God, full of the anointing spirit of God that are changing the world. Maybe we'll move on to something else. But this is the first and, and, and the last step in everything we do. We're doing it unto the Lord. We're doing it in the Lord. Amen. So I can do this in Christ. So I just want you to challenge yourself. We're going to close with this thought. I want you to get your Bible tomorrow, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. I want you to just begin to read it. And I want you get to begin to learn more about the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus, who Jesus is, is who you are now. It's Christ in you that's living, right? So if you want to learn more about yourself, you learn more about this. And then I want you to just find something in there. Find something in there that just seems like a stretch. Like that, that I know he says this is what we should be doing. I know the Bible says this is who I should be, this, but that just seems like that's for the super Christians in the church. It's not for me. Like I said, if Moses were to get behind the wheel and he's not ready for it yet, maybe he is behind the wheel. Can someone check on my son? <laughs> now, if Moses were to get behind the wheel and put his foot on the gas pedal, he could go as fast as I could. It's not my strength. This is the power of the car. 
It's not my strength. It's the power of Jesus. We're doing this in Christ. I'm preaching in Christ today. In Christ, I can preach. In Christ, we can pray. In Christ, we can love. In Christ, we can see the sick healed. And in Christ, we can see the oppressed go free. In Christ, I can stand firm when everybody else is quitting. In Christ, I can rejoice in the Lord when nobody else wants to rejoice. I can teach my kids that obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I don't want to obey you. I don't like obeying you. Well, do it in the Lord. Watch what happens when you engage his power. Amen. Now, you need to model that, though. If you're not doing it in the Lord, then don't expect your kids to do it. If you just do it, if you just indulge your every emotion, if you just, every time you're angry, you act angry, if you refuse to repent when you make a mistake, well, that's what they'll do too. But if you model a life of this, we're, we're in Christ now, we're different people, watch what happens with them too.